Thanks to NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Get the free guide. It's free! Get the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, by going to netsuite.com. It's Thursday, December 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Always happy to be here. We got considering it's mid-December and things are typically winding down. We got kind of a packed show. It's kind of it's an exciting day. There's a lot going on. It is. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. We've got not one but two holiday shopping suggestions for the dozens of listeners. Hey now. And we're going to get to the war on cash. Don't worry. And we're also going to get to the stock that Jason recently bought. Stocks. Oh. Stocks. Oh. Yes, plural. Oh, okay. I know. We're going to get to all of that. It's a big episode. But we're going to start with some earnings from Tailored Brands and the the rough week for apparel just gets rougher. Tailored Brands is the parent company of Men's Warehouse and Joseph A Bank and that stock is down 27% this morning on third quarter results that on the surface don't look as bad. They don't look 27% negative bad. They don't look great, but I'm t- you tell me what's going on here. Well, Chris, you're going to hate their guidance. I guarantee it. Um, it. Really, in all honesty, that's what it is. I think, to your point, that the results for the quarter were not really bad at all. They met or exceeded the expectations. But it is really about the forward guidance. They guided down um, from from previous goals, and we know how the market tends to receive news like that. I, you know, this is an interesting comment. I think for the two to exist together like this, it probably makes the most sense. Um, Joseph A. Bank, yeah, and Men's I, Warehouse. I think you know they they do very similar things, and so you might as well just exist as as one strong business, and it's as strong as could probably be in the in the uh, environment. I think the biggest challenge they faced, really, though, is this secular move away from business attire, right? I mean, I think more and more places are just adopting these casual work environments where the expectation doesn't exist. Like it used to, where you had to dress up and wear a tie or a suit to come to work. I mean, I use us as an example, but you and I both know from companies that we see and talk about all the time that more and more companies are just adopting that that sort of casual environment. There, so I think that's part of the challenge there. Now, it's not to say they can't deal with that. I mean, they can come up with new types of offerings and and uh, maybe steer away a little bit from that formal business attire, but. <laughs> Retail is very difficult, and and I mean they have a bit more than 1.1 billion dollars in debt on the balance sheet. So when you have that, along with a company where the top line is essentially just hit a brick wall, and margins are now beginning to compress, their biggest challenge, as noted in the call, is getting more people in the stores to buy stuff. Well, I mean the only way you can really do that is to offer more deals, entice them to come in and buy more stuff. That's fine. But what that ultimately does is plays out on margins, and then you condition your consumers to essentially wait until stuff goes on sale. So it's kind of like that Bed Bath and Beyond scenario there. Granted, I I think I'd probably find myself in a in a clothing store before I'd find myself in a Bed Bath and Beyond store. But but I think it's it's there's a parallel there. I'm glad you mentioned the secular decline in business attire because that was one of my thoughts when I was looking over this news this morning was. Sort of extrapolating my own life and the 
attire here at the company. I mean, there was a point in time where I had a bunch of suits. Yeah. I don't anymore. I, I was <laughs> I, the same I, way. I don't need them. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if, because the, in some ways, maybe it is helpful for tailored brands that the pathway ahead of them for success, while not necessarily is easy, I think it's clear, and I think you hit on it, which is they need to start moving away from suits, and they need to start offering more casual clothes. And there's a lot of brand work that has to go into that. And I know that that you know for a lot of people that's sort of a, a squishy thing. But more specifically, I think that if they were to undertake maybe a two-year campaign to say, look, not only are we going to expand what we're offering in terms of clothing, because one thing going relatively well, I think, for tailored brands, certainly in the case of Joseph A. Bank, uh, nobody looks at the at their offerings and says, "Well, that's bad quality stuff." Yeah, no, they, they sell quality yep. clothing. So I think if they were able to expand that sort of down the scale away from the suits, more to more towards Banana Republic and start eating into Banana Republic's turf and that sort of thing, and along with that, doing the marketing. Spend that they would need to do to really move that brand perception. We're not just suits, and by the way, we're not just suits on sale, as you said. It's we offer all range of clothing for yeah. men. Yeah, I mean, become become more things for more people, and and I mean, we say that a lot, but um, in in this case, it may very well be the the easiest way to to continue to grow. I, I think about. Brands that exist out there today that could perhaps complement what these guys are doing, and one that comes to mind is: Have you ever heard of Untuck It? Yeah. So that's the brand, essentially the shirt built on this notion that you we guys are tired of tucking our shirts in, and so you've got these <laughs> button-down shirts that are tailored just so that they they hang just the right uh, amount below the belt line, and it looks classy untucked. I mean, maybe they need to think about bringing. A brand like that under their umbrella. Maybe there's an acquisition to be made there at some point to to be able to to offer more breadth to to the catalog there. But again, the problem still exists. They have a big slug of debt on the balance sheet, and and so you have to account for that. If they decide to issue shares, will that dilute shareholders? So I mean, they are in a little bit of a predicament because of the financial position that they're in. It's not it's not. Dismal yet, but I mean, it, it could get there pretty quickly if they're not careful. So, we're a couple of weeks away from uh, our annual tradition on Motley Fool Money of our uh, first show of the year, the calendar year. We do a preview. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say my <laughs> prediction for 2019, my business prediction, is private equity comes in to tailored brands because this is a this is a viable business that is stumbling right now, and it is a seven hundred million dollar market cap company. Mm-hmm. This, if I'm some somewhere in private equity land, people are looking at this business. They're listening to what you're saying about untuck it and those types of moves into casual space, and they're saying, rubbing their hands together with glee, <laughs> we can fix this, but we need to start buying some shares. I think that's a reasonable observation. I mean, if you're if if anyone's looking at this company right now, is a pretty darn good time to do it. Visa announced a partnership to help companies eliminate 33 trillion with a T, <laughs> 33 trillion in paper checks. It is one more 
move in the war on cash. And I remind our dozens of listeners, it was an executive at Visa who used that phrase. <laughs> I mean, we use it. We piggybacked on it. We piggybacked on it, on it but it, we weren't, that was not hyperbole on our part. We were no. quoting directly from a Visa executive That's who said, right. we are at war with cash. You, yeah. like, you like this move. I, well, yeah, I do. I mean, and this really shines a light, I think, on how valuable that Visa toll booth is and MasterCard as well. I mean, they both do really the same thing. But when you want to do something in finance that can affect the largest network or the largest population and make an experience better, faster, uh, you're going to be relying on Visa and Mastercard. You're going to have to make sure you bring them into that equation at some point or another. And so it's it's interesting to understand a little bit why this matters because I think. The big question is well a lot of a lot of times the automatic clearinghouse process is a way for companies to be able to push these payments to individuals and and that has existed for a very long time I think the the fintech industry is looking at, at the ACH process as a little bit antiquated and primarily that's because of the time involved in in moving funds it can sometimes take a matter of a couple of days um, and while an institution may make those funds available to you immediately, they could still be on the hook if there's a chargeback. And so, ultimately, what this does is instead of utilizing the automatic clearinghouse network, this essentially just jumps on those Visa and MasterCard rails. And in this case, it's going to be Visa. Um, I, I suspect we'll see MasterCard participating in this in some way, shape, or form sooner or later. Um, but when you look at the actual numbers involved, about how big of a deal this could be, there's an association called the National Automated Clearinghouse Association called NACHA. That kind of makes me think of nachos. I don't know why that is. But anyway, uh, NACHA reports that the average ACH transaction costs around 11 cents per transaction. And there are over 25 billion ACH payments made every year. I mean, there were more than 25 billion made in 2016. And that number is, is, is up from there. So you can see. The opportunity that exists there, and and I, I think this is one way uh, for companies like Visa, companies like Mastercard to get in there and really focus on the one big differentiator here, and that is the time involved in getting the money from point A to point B. That's the big problem this solves for a lot of people. So you get it there faster, you reduce the risk of chargebacks because you're riding right on those uh, card rails. Uh, so it's the first step, I think, in in what we'll see is the continued evolution in in fintech and the companies that are participating. What about a company like Paychex, which is in the business of paychecks and yeah. HR solutions? If you're seeing this news, that's going to cause an upset stomach. I would think, and I mean, I think employers who utilize paychecks or other forms of of uh, of payment software. Are going to look at this and see if there's another way that they might be able to pay their employees in a in a more timely fashion uh, and even even cheaper than than they're doing so now. I mean, I, I you know I think that we've we've gotten to the point where most people, and I, I think most people. I mean, there are still some people out there that just physically want to see that check. I know personally, I don't want to see it. I want you just to get that money straight to my account. I don't. I want another check, like I want another hole in the head. And so I think that for companies looking at what options exist out there, and you're seeing companies like Square and PayPal really participating in this as well. Yeah, I think if you're paychecks or a company like that, you've got to be looking at this and thinking, "Oh man, what are we going to do to keep up here?" Because this is certainly something that could disrupt their business. 
Before we dip into the mailbag and before we get to the stocks that you bought last week, quick shout out to NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy to use cloud platform. Speaking of paychecks, by the way, this is not some one size fits all software with industry specific support for a broad range of business. NetSuite works the way that your business works. Thousands of the best known brands and fastest growing companies use NetSuite to manage their business, and now it's available to you. Yes, you! You listening in your car right now or doing stuff around your house. It's available to you. The power of the world's most popular cloud management system is more affordable than you think, and right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights to overcome the obstacles that are holding you back for free. Save time and money by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR instantly right from your desk or phone. Get the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com. It's free. Just, I mean, it's a free guide. Maybe it's got something in there that could help. That's all I'm saying. Um, what did you buy last week? Well, um, I bought. Let's go ahead and just get it out there. I, I added to positions that I currently have already in Markel and Square. There was some nice dip action on Friday where I felt like, you know what? These are two businesses I really like, and, and they are looking looking like pretty good prices. And, and so I added. And in Mark Hell's case, I mean, we saw that stock dip 10%, which you literally never see. I mean, I think the last time I saw that stock move. Even close to that was when they they made some big acquisition probably five five years ago or so in in the the market I think looked at it initially with a little bit of skepticism and rightly so anytime you make big acquisitions like that it, it makes sense to step back and, and reexamine the situation but in this case uh, with Markel I, this I have to believe this was algorithm driven or something because um, that 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 ten percent. Sell-off in those shares didn't didn't really make sense. I appreciate you making that distinction because when we talk about buying opportunities for stocks, it's important to remember that buying opportunities come in different forms because it's natural to think in terms of a percentage, just a flat percentage. But as you point out, a stock like Markel drops like this rarely happen, yeah. as opposed to say. Uh, Netflix, where, and I'm not talking only about drops in the case of Netflix, but there's there's some stat out there about when Netflix reports earnings, the swing the next day <laughs> yeah. is almost always very you know, volatile, eight percent plus. So you know, don't assume that the stocks that are on your watch list all have the same level of volatility and price swing. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Markel. Question from Jason McClara, who writes, What are your thoughts on the recent announcement of a regulatory inquiry into Markel? Which may have driven some of those algos. Yes. Um, Jason writes, The stock has traded down a little less than 10% since the announcement. Just wondering where things go from here. Thanks. Uh, thank you for the question, Jason. Uh, yeah, it was a week ago, Markel announced that it is hiring an outside counsel for an internal review after it was notified by unnamed regulators. And I think right off the bat, it's the unnamed part of that sentence yeah. that, that makes some investors go, well, wait a minute. Is this a paperwork thing? Is this just a, a rounding error? Or is the SEC kicking in your door? Yeah, and I mean, that's fair to be a little bit knee jerk whenever you see investigation. I mean, that doesn't exactly instill a lot of confidence. But, you know, it's one where you have to 
dig in a little bit and try to understand exactly what's going on here. And so we look at the the 8K that Markel actually released, and they were saying that after having having been contacted on November 30th, they're cooperating with inquiries by U.S. and Bermuda authorities into loss reserves that were recorded in late 2017 and early 2018 in the Markel Catco investment management business. Okay, and it's God, it's, that's in the weeds. It rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> But my point in reading that in the CATCO part there is that it is limited just to that catastrophe part of the business, the reinsurance CATCO business that they have, and they acquired uh, not all that long ago. It does not have anything to do with any other part of Markel whatsoever. Not so, the Markel Ventures, not the Markel Insurance. This is limited to just one little wing of the business that they acquired for about $210 million uh, a little while back. So, in terms of Markel's overall revenue streams. Mm. Roughly, what percentage is Catco contributing to? I'm very glad that you asked that because uh, it's not a lot. Okay, to, to be very clear as to what this Catco business is, they're involved in what's called retrocession. And again, rolls right off the tongue. And of course, I mean, insurance is exciting. Is anything it's duller sexy. than insurance? <laughs> but <laughs> retrocession is essentially like reinsurers. Uh, it's reinsurance for the reinsurers. It's a way that reinsurers spread that risk to other reinsurers. Um, it's it's just part and parcel of the of the insurance business. And so, when we talk about the actual exposure to Markel's overall business, well, it's not a whole heck of a lot because if you look at the total revenues that were attributed to this Markel Catco side of the business in, in 2017, for the full year, it was only 28.7 million dollars. And in Markel's trailing 12-month revenue is about seven and a half billion dollars. Okay, so it is just a drop in the bucket. Um, and so I, I think that it was a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction. The stock wasn't necessarily cheap before the sell-off. It's not. I wouldn't argue that it's cheap now either. It's still trading at about one and a half times book value. But my my litmus test there is ultimately like, what if you just completely eliminated this cat business from Markel's business model? What ultimately happens? Well, yeah, they lose a little bit on the assets under management side. Uh, but but it doesn't really impair the business at all. And in another encouraging thing I think is that the the original management team with this Catco business is still on. So these were the guys that knew the business from the very start. In in it's very difficult to come up with the reserves for these reinsurance businesses. It's it's not just this set in stone process. It's a bit nebulous. You have to make some assumptions. And we've had some pretty severe natural disasters here over the past couple of years. These California wildfires are going to be contributing to that as well. So it's understandable in the near term to be a little bit worried, perhaps, of what this might mean. But once you dig in, then you recognize very quickly that it I don't want to say it's meaningless, but it's pretty close to meaningless when you're talking about a company that I I intend to own for the next 20 years plus, hopefully. Um, these guys know what they're doing. So I think this is one where you can you can see it's it's a little bit a little bit of noise in the short term, but but that's why I bought shares on that dip because I'm still confident in what they're doing. To this point, has Markel given any uh, guidance or made any public statements regarding the timing of this investigation and how long it's expected to last? No, I mean there's nothing really that we know other than they're they're going to continue to cooperate and do whatever they need to do. It's probably going to result in having to bring those reserves back up to speed. Perhaps that plays out on the book value of the stock in the near term, but but again. I mean, they make their money a number of different ways. And I mean, the Markel Ventures side of the business alone, which is that little wholly owned and 
partially owned these these businesses that they invest in all over the country. I mean, that brought in 1.4 billion dollars in revenue last year. So, I mean, again, the point is that this this catgo business it's it's a neat little aspect of the business, but it is not extremely meaningful. And once you can see that, then I think it makes a little bit more sense, uh, you know, to own the stock and feel you know at least decent about buying on a dip like that. We are over a week away before Christmas. And if you're like me, you're looking to do some holiday shopping in the next uh, week or so. I think I'm about done with all mine. Can you believe that? Well, hang on, because I've got two (laughs) ideas for you and the dozens of listeners. KFC, oh, Yum Brands shareholders have got to be excited about this. KFC announced it is selling logs for your fireplace that smell like the original recipe fried chicken Hmm. for just $19. You know what? For just nineteen dollars. For just nineteen dollars per log. Yes. Holy cow! <laughs> Which I I don't buy fake logs, so I don't know. Uh-huh. I, I'm assuming. Look, you're paying for the scent. Yeah. You're paying up for the scent. Yeah. I feel like that could, if it's done well, I feel like that could be all right. First of all, let's yes. be clear here. Nineteen dollars. That's less than you're paying for one of those scented candles at Bath and Body Works. That is true. It's so, probably more than you're paying though for like a bucket of chicken. So you could probably just go get the bucket of chicken, <laughs> stick it in the oven or something, and then you just you know your house starts smelling like chicken that way, right? That's true. Is there? Um, I, I, I wrote this on Twitter. There's a non-zero chance I would buy one of these. I'm not saying I'm going to buy one of these, but I, I'm tempted. You're not saying I'm tempt- no. I'm not saying no. That's what I'm saying. But uh, it's not as though I'm curious if you have another food-scented or beverage-scented log that you say, you know what, I am going to buy it at that because for me, it's Cinnabon. That's anytime I'm in an airport, if I if I'm walking near a Cinnabon. Which, by the way, are there Cinnabons that aren't in airports? Maybe there are, but um, that's the only time I encounter them. But they smell so good. Yeah. And I never buy it because it's never as good as it smells, but it smells so amazing. So a Cinnabon scented log, I I would be very <laughs> close to just saying, yes, here, take, shut up and take my money. That's funny because that was one of the names that crossed my mind first. Um, I ultimately came down to one of these two, though. And I think. My logic is so bacon to me is like one of the best smells ever. And like whenever you've got whenever you've got an odor problem around your house, you throw a slab of bacon in the oven and just get that thing going and it fixes everything. So I do like bacon a lot, but that's pretty easy because I could just go buy a side of bacon and throw it in the oven. Now bagels are a little bit more difficult to make, and so I thought maybe if I had like an everything bagel smell, those smell pretty good. If you have an everything bagel smell in the fireplace along with a slab of bacon in the oven, now you're talking. I mean, hey, let's bring in producer Dan Boyd uh, to see if he has any thoughts on this because, uh, well, let's face it, you know, Dan's a man of opinions. Dan, is is, is there something? Whether it's everything bagel or Cinnabon, is there something where you would say, you know what, I'm not buying the KFC scented one, but I might throw a little bit of money at this. No, this, <laughs> is, this is stupid. Not even an okay. I, not even right. an I, Irish. I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but in the office here, like when people have delicious lunch, yeah. and I haven't eaten yet. <laughs> It stops me from doing sensible things like getting a salad or like, you know, 
good for me food and then I'll go out and get like three pounds of barbecue and eat it all in about 20 minutes and then feel sick for the rest of the day. I cannot imagine having a log in your fireplace that smells like fried chicken is going to help people make good eating decisions. I think he's got a point. He's got a very good point. All right, so then maybe I can interest you in the second idea for people who are looking to do some last-minute holiday shopping, and that is to go to the Motley Fool podcast shop and get some podcast and investing swag for the one you love. Well, I mean, if the one you love loves Motley Fool podcasts, then I think that's a great idea. <laughs> but if you're down to the Motley Fool podcast shop for somebody who's never heard of us before, then maybe you need to <laughs> reconsider your Christmas or holiday shopping strategies. Somebody who's never heard of us before. I mean, it's does is that we have dozens of listeners, yeah. Dan. I, I, I'm sure people have heard of us. At least two dozen listeners. At Dan, least. what if you had a log that? Emanated the odor of a nice Irish field after after a rainfall, right? You got you got engaged in Ireland. I right? did see that would be wonderful yeah. because a a freshly rained upon field and a meadow in yeah. Ireland doesn't make me want to eat fried chicken, <laughs> right? Yeah, and that's just it, and it probably puts your wife to be in in a in a good mood, right? Uh, certainly it does. Uh, and I just want to uh, pull back the curtain a little bit. We record this episode before lunch. And now all this talk about fried chicken is is heavily incentivizing me <laughs> to make some bad decisions about lunch today. Yeah. All right. We'll we'll move off of the fried chicken. Let me let me bring it back around for for those who are looking to do some shopping or even just to Get a little swag. Maybe this is what you do. You send it to someone in your family and say, hey, go to shop.fool.com because they're having a big holiday sale. Everything is on sale. Mugs, t-shirts, women's cut t-shirts, everything. Hoodies. I got to jump on that. Everything is on sale at shop.fool.com. And yes, we have podcast swag. We also have just sort of general investing swag as well. So, check that out when you get a chance. Uh, Big holiday sale at shop.fool.com. Jason Moser. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fuller. The show is mixed by the hungry Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Health. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on Monday. Oh!